Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Monday, April the 4th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Psalm 21. This psalm is known as a royal psalm. It actually is one of those psalms that probably isn't as well known, but a royal psalm concerning a faithful King David. And as we look at King David, we live in that tension of living in this world to trust in the king, while at the same time knowing that we follow the king of kings. David gives us that tension today, and this tension should constantly lead us to prayer, which, ironically, is what the Psalms are all about. For the Lord is our salvation and our strength. So this morning, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, and let's start praying. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Don Fondow, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Fondow, happy Lent and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation to be with you. Well, it's a, it's a joy to have you on, uh, President Fonda, because you're my district president. And I think, um, well, we're at the end of your time. You're going to retire soon. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, this will be my last convention. Um, we meet May 9, 10, and 11. And then at the end of June, I'll officially walk out the door. <laughs> Very good. Are you going to go right to go fishing, or what's the first action you're going to do? Uh, I think that... I'm going to continue reading the Psalms. Uh, there you go. Let's start with Psalm 21. <laughs> so, Pastor, <Yep. laughs> tell us, Pastor Fondell, tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work of the saints in Minnesota North. Okay. Well, I've been blessed to serve my entire ministry in the Minnesota North District. Uh, 21 and a half years in the congregation that I was placed at from the seminary. And when I finish here, uh, 21 and a half years in the district office two and a half years as a mission and ministry facilitator, uh, working with missions and congregational outreach, and 19 years now as district president. My wife, Connie, and I have been married for 45 years. She is a retired elementary school teacher, and we've been blessed with two sons, two daughters-in-law, two granddaughters, and three grandsons. And the Minnesota North District was formed 59 years ago in January of 1963 when it was decided to divide the Minnesota district, which encompassed the entire state of Minnesota, to divide it into two. It was, in effect, separated according to county lines north of the Twin Cities, and thus the Minnesota North District encompasses three-fourths of the land, but it has only one-fourth of the population. We have 198 congregations, seven uh, Lutheran elementary schools, one micro school, one high school that's in its first year, and 19 preschools. Interestingly enough, two of our congregations are in Wisconsin, Christ and Superior and Faith in Maple. And our congregation, St. Paul's in International Falls, 
is a dual parish with the Church of the Lutheran Hour in Fort Francis, Ontario, Canada, and they are served by a Lutheran Church Canada pastor. And our congregation, First Lutheran in East Grand Forks, Minnesota, is in a dual parish with Redeemer Lutheran Church in Grand Forks, North Dakota. (laughs) And Zion Lutheran Church in Browns Valley, Minnesota, is in a dual parish with Zion Lutheran Church in Clare City, South Dakota. Um, (laughs) Yeah. We have a, uh, a total of 330 rostered church workers, um, 232 pastors, and 98 commissioned, that is uh, encompassing active and retired. Of our 232 pastors, 80 are emeritus, such as your father, and a number of them like him are still serving and helping out, thanks be to God. Um, our district is very supportive of missions. We work with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in of Kenya uh, with Project 24, Helping At-Risk Children, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Cotton Tree, Liberia, the Lutheran Church of the Philippines Seminary, the work in Puerto Rico, and the International Lutheran Center in Wittenberg, Germany, to name some. So at home and abroad, uh, partnership in the Lord's mission is an emphasis. Well, thank you for that, Pastor. Um, you also... It's one of those realities, as I think back to it, is since you've been here, since 1979, my father moved here in July of 1975 to serve in Wadena, which is about a half an hour from Park Rapids, where you serve. So basically, it's been the Finner and Fondau show for quite a few years. What do you think? (laughs) I think so. I remember (laughs) watching you play high school basketball for the Wadena Wolverines. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no, against the Panthers. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Lord have mercy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, those were the days. Obviously. I'm cheering for you cheering for you now, but I wasn't back then. <laughs> That's true. So, Pastor, as we begin, uh, we're looking at Psalm 21. And how we start is we'll just pray. And I'll pray the Psalm, Psalm 21, and end with the Gloria Patri, which is just a reminder to our listeners that when you have struggle to pray, what should I pray? Just pray the psalm. And today we will begin in prayer, Psalm 21, and we will be praying from uh, the scriptures, but also from the English Standard Version. We begin. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessing. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asks life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. His splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will, be, will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, Though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. 
Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Pastor Fondell, as we look at Psalm 21, it's always good for us to take a step back and ask the question, why are the Psalms important to the Christian and to the life of the corporate church? Well, the book of Psalms is a rich and diverse collection of the prayers and songs of our spiritual ancestors in the faith. The Psalms are scripture's song in the worship life of Israel and the church. And the book of Psalms is the church's prayer book and the hymn book in one. The singing of the Psalms is part of the ongoing life of temple and synagogue. And when these biblical Psalms are prayed and sung in worship, the words of Holy Scripture are directly proclaimed. When the church takes the Psalms on its lips, it testifies that it has taken these words into its heart and now professes them as its own. For the Psalms not only reflect our inner lives, but they also shape them. They're both God's words to us and our words to God. And to understand the Psalms as scripture song sung in the presence of God is to understand that Jesus Christ is the center of the Old Testament, its purpose and its goal. From the cries and pleas for help and the agony and distress of death to the joy of deliverance, from the memory of misery to the expectation of the time of salvation, this breakthrough to the messianic joy of the day of the Lord is mirrored in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms shows us Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, to whom we respond with worship and prayer. And Martin Luther, he wrote, the Psalter ought to be a precious and beloved book, if for no other reason than this. It promises Christ's death and resurrection so clearly and pictures his kingdom and the condition and nature of all Christendom that it might well be called a little Bible. So, Pastor, as we look at this Psalm 21, the, the title in the English Standard Version says, the king rejoices in the Lord's strength. <clears throat> and already we, we received quite a bit just from that, that title. But how would you want to start us off so that we, that we pray and study this psalm faithfully? Yeah. Well, I'd like to just give kind of a, a brief introductory overview uh, because we really need to, to look at the fact that Psalm 20 and Psalm 21, they go together. They're a matched pair since they are for use, Psalm 20 before and Psalm 21 after battle. And they may have been intended especially for use by Israel's army, but they would also be appropriate for the whole nation. In fact, they, these two Psalms, they may have been used in public services like the one Jehoshaphat held before his battle with Moab and Ammon, recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Psalm 20 is a liturgy of prayer for the king. First of all, for King David, who was its composer, uh, just before he goes out to battle against the threatening force. This was ancient Israel's prayer, or was supposed to be their prayer, for every Davidic king, that is, the royal lineage of kings in Jewish history connected to David. And God ultimately fulfilled ancient Israel's prayer through Jesus, who is the Davidic messianic king. He is the one who was sent to save, anointed, who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Psalm 20, verse 9, it says, O Yahweh, save the king. That was answered by God the Father. 
when he raised Jesus from the dead. And as Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 tells us, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Now, Psalm 21 follows from Psalm 20. God saved and blessed the king, and in response, the king and the people rejoiced in Yahweh, in the Lord. Every statement of thanks applied to the before-Christ Davidic kings in a miniature sort of way, like Isaiah 37, King Hezekiah's prayer and the fall of Sennacherib, uh, who was the king of Assyria, ultimately is fulfilled in a mega way with Jesus, the Davidic messianic king. And this is especially seen in Jesus' bodily resurrection and to his ascension and session at God's right hand. Verse 4 of Psalm 21, it says, He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Well, David's kingdom had a beginning, but God promised David that it would not have an ending. The Davidic throne would endure forever, and this is why the Psalms are shadows in David's day and realities in Jesus' day. The you in Psalm 21, verses 8 through 12, it refers to the Davidic king and ultimately to Jesus, who now rules as the exalted king over all his enemies. Only his enemies are no longer simply flesh and blood, but powers, rulers of darkness, principalities, Satan, and his minions. And Jesus, the Davidic Messiah, defeats his enemies. That's good news for us as people. And as a result, we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus the Christ. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. I think Psalm 21 can be likened to Psalm 110 in their testimony to the Christ, the Messiah, which led uh, Martin Luther to state that Psalm 21 is a prophecy of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom which is and remains eternally and spiritually before God. It is interesting to me that you know Psalm 21 is one of those psalms that will easily be overlooked and let alone connecting it to Psalm 20, you know, and so forth. Because if you go into our Lutheran study uh, service book, both Psalm 20 and 21 are not in there. <laughs> when you right. go to the front, and I'm not <laughs> criticizing the, the commission on worship when they did that. I understand all the complexities to that. But it is fascinating because we had a great study on Friday with Pastor Matthew Schultz from New York, and he spoke almost identical to what you did, but now it really comes even more clear as you see that connection of before battle, that that 20 would be one that they would pray before they went into battle, and then 21 was after when they saw the Lord's work throughout um, their lives. And David especially is very reflective, which brings us back to Psalm 19, um, which definitely has that same feel that the last verse almost becomes the interpretive key for the whole thing. Uh, uh, Psalm 19, let the word of my, words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So that really filters the rest. 20, verse 9, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And now today, as you said so beautifully, is verse 13, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Now I'm going to have to do some more research on this, on the interpretive uh, understanding of that last verse, which I think is, is I think, vital for our study of Psalm 21 today. Any, any last thoughts before we dig in a little bit um, um, at the beginning? Well, uh, this, this last thing, and then I'll, is that 
in Psalm 20, verse 4, um, it says, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. And then when you go over to Psalm 21, verse 2, it says, You have granted him the desire of his heart and have not withheld the request of his lips. Mm. So you have the prayer and the prayer answered. And then the people respond with worship. There's a one of the pastors in our circuit who, um, well, he's well past his uh, retirement age, Gary Hendrickson, and you know Gary very well, mm-hmm. um, is Gary has told us, and this is a very faithful man, that said throughout his ministry, he's been one who remembers and is able to, when he says a prayer, he writes it down, and then when it gets answered, he, you know, with joy, even says this, with joy, he'll go back and, and say how it was answered. And I think that is a wonderful connection mm-hmm. to Psalm 20 and 21. I don't know how, right. you know, for me, I would lose count, you know, right away. I'm not that disciplined. But there is a reality of when we really reflect on that, that God, God does answer prayers. And so may that be part of our interpretation, too, of understanding that he not only hears us, he's just some kind of listening ear, but he answers them according to his grace. So let's start digging in. Are you ready to dig in? Yep. All right. I'm ready. Verses 1 through 3, and once again, Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. Now, Pastor, right at the beginning, he rejoices. Tell us more about this rejoicing and what that means to David. Right. It, it's, a, it's a prayer of thanksgiving following the battle. And it, thanks, it gives thanks for the salvation of his life in the face of death on the battlefield. And it's interesting because um, we can think of the battle that he had, so to speak, with Saul, and then he received the crown, um, being crowned the king of, of Israel. But there also is, which I find to be very interesting, and um, this morning um, I, when uh, you and I were talking on the phone, I mentioned to you about um, a dear friend and a, a beloved uh, fellow pastor of ours, uh, Bernie Setter, uh, who the Lord took home, took his soul to be with him last Tuesday, um, a week ago, the past Tuesday. And anyway, Pastor Setter, he was a pastor for his entire ministry up in Grafton and Drayton, North Dakota. And also he was the chairman of the uh, Board for International Mission and previously the chair of the uh, uh, Board for LCMS World Relief and Human Care. But the reason I bring him up is because he would. He had this uh, saying. He would say, "There hasn't. I have not seen a diversion that I haven't taken." <laughs> and that's what I, I'm going to take a little bit of a diversion here, <laughs> because uh, there was. There's an account uh, in Second Samuel 12 uh, where David receives a golden crown following a heated battle, and this was following the death of the child. Uh, conceived in adultery with Bathsheba and the birth of their second son, Solomon. Um, David was contacted by his nephew, Joab, the commander of his army. And he sent him word, Joab did, and said, I fought against Rabbah 
Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So David, he gathered all the people together, went to Rabbah, fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. And the weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone. It was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. Well, here's the diversion. How much is a talent of gold? Well, it's about 75 pounds. So today's market value for gold alone uh, in this crown would be something in the neighborhood of about 1.4 million or more, mm-hmm. and depending on how many carats it was. But this was most likely a ceremonial crown, and not one you'd wear daily because of the cost and having 75, 75 pounds on your head, um, it might weigh you down. It was both precious and a symbol of authority in the region. And uh, at Rabbah, David himself fought in the battle. And if you look at Psalm 20, there's always a good chance that a man in battle will die, even a king, if he goes out and fights alongside his men. So David put his life into God's hands whenever he went into battle. And David put his trust in God, and the people put their trust in God. Before the battle, they pray for David's safe return and for the blessings that come with success in battle. And the gold crown would be one of these successes. And when you read about the battles King David fought during this time, there's a frequent accounting of the gold that's brought into the treasury of Israel. And later, when Solomon, David's son, builds the temple, there's a tremendous amount of gold needed to finish the project. Well, where did all the gold come from? It came from victories like the one fought in Rabbah. When you've given him his heart's desire, Psalm 21 says, and have not withheld the request of his lips, for you meet him with rich blessings, you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. One of David's desires, you've given him his heart's desire. One of his desires was to, to build a temple for God. And we see God answering David's prayer with these victories by providing raw materials needed for Solomon, David's son, to build the temple. And David said to Solomon in First Chronicles chapter 22, he said, With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold. So it's mm. very, you know, I think very interesting. And then, you know, I think about this. Are, are Psalms 20 and 21 just about winning victories in battle or just about the spoils of war or just about having your king ride back alive? and not return dead, or is there more? Well, because of Christ Jesus' death, St. Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he continues, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that the Christian life is one that is centered on more than conquering at earthly battles. It's more than gaining earthly treasures. You know, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this last thing, in the resurrection, we're promised a crown. Jesus says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And when Jesus, the good shepherd, appears on the last day, St. Peter says that you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
And St. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And St. Paul, anticipating his future death, said with confidence, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. This is promised not just to people like Peter and James and Paul, it's promised to us as well. St. Paul continues saying, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved Jesus appearing. In Christ, you have a crown of life and a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness. You're crowned with Jesus' life, with his glory, with his righteousness. Jesus wore a crown of thorns in death, but rose to give us a crown of life. Well, I, I feel like only saying amen to all that, Pastor, <laughs> but we we have still time left in us, and I do want to touch on this on the other side of our break, since we need to take our break. How can we not help but think of the hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns? But we need to take our break right now. We are studying and praying the Psalms with Pastor Don Fondal, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 21 with Pastor Don Fondau, District President of of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And 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 Pastor, I before our break, you were going through all the wonderful imagery we have throughout Scripture about the crown, the crown that was given to David, the the gold that was using to build the temple later on, how God had His hand on all of this let alone the crown of thorns on our Lord Jesus, which reminds us of the humility and the pain he went through and the crown that we will receive. So I feel like we need to, I, I'm not going to, but we should start singing crown him with many crowns, right? And crown him the Lord of life who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. Boy, that is just powerful stuff. Do you, well, I, I hesitate to ask. Maybe there is more, but is there more about the crown that you want to highlight this morning? Uh, I think that, that says it all. <laughs> it says it all right there. So we've gone through the first three verses, and it's very helpful to see this as a post-battle victory. And what strikes me is he does not, he says these words, Oh, Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices, and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You you have given him his heart desires. Verse 3, for you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. The emphasis is so clear from David. He does not take the credit. The credit belongs only to the Lord. Why is that important for him and for us in our Christian walk with the Lord? Well, I think um, one of the things here is that 
the you is, is as I said in the uh, kind of the introductory overview, it is uh, the Davidic messianic king, Christ. Mm. You know, he gives to us. And as you were saying, the, the uh, stanza from crown him with many crowns, you know, he crowns us um, with glory. The victory is his that he gives to us. Um, and therefore, you know, a mighty fortress is our God. The kingdom ours remaineth. So, Pastor, I think I'm ready to move on, verses 4 through 7. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, yep. verse 4. He asked, life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So he continues to offer thanks for the blessings that the Lord has given to him. And what does he highlight? I hear, you know, that David had prayed to God for life in the face of death. And the people then rejoice with thanksgiving, um, saying to God those verses that, that you had just read. And to me, we too can trust in the Lord for what God did for David in the appearing of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection God does for us as well. His victory is ours in Christ, won for us at the cross, and won for us in a moment that looked like defeat. When Christ died so that David would live, when Christ died so that we would live, conquering death and on the third day being risen from the dead, making the words of Jesus come to pass when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And for that reason, we can be thankful when we or our loved ones escape death, when we or our loved ones recover from sickness, when we or our loved ones recover from injury, when we or our loved ones are spared sudden death, because we know that even if we were to die, even if they were to die, with faith in Christ Jesus who defeated death, we will have life and have it to the full. We'll have eternal life, a crown that will never fade. And as St. Paul says, nothing can separate us from it. And I want to take another diversion. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Because this is, you know, it's one of those, what I think is, in my mind, um, a teaching uh, tool. But I used to do this with my own boys and and with confirmation classes. That very, when uh, Lazarus died and Martha comes out of, Verses from John 11 that I just read, 25 and 26, that end with Jesus asking Martha, "Do you believe this?" Um, I used to do it in this, teach it in this way: voice inflection. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that right there, there is the central question: Is it? Isn't it? Do you believe this, that Christ is who he says he is? Um, is he the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Savior? 
Now I'm going to have to read this differently. <laughs> for you make him the most blessed forever you make him glad yeah. and that definitely brings go. out that wonderful reality of when we do say that um it's the for you-ness of the gospel right this is for you um that you may believe i mean it's just it's very much so full grace all over his people as pastor uh, levi wilms said when we read the psalm it's like jesus is laying over the psalm and I, I can't help but think of um the language like like we've spoken about how you know he is like a like a mother hen bringing in her uh chicks and that's exactly what i feel when and see in this text as well we just see nothing but christ and his love for his people anything else in verses four through seven pastor well i think um you know one of the things here is that as i i started earlier say, I mean, the, the Lord does more than help us conquer earthly battles, but we know in this world, um, our convention theme, John sixteen thirty three. in this world, you will have trouble, but don't lose heart for I've overcome the world. You know, I've come that you may have peace and we're, we're going to have, and certainly all of us, um, you know, we have our difficulties and struggles and battles and, but, the Lord is there, and that's where that verse, um, when it says, uh, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. And that's where our hope and our help comes from, and that is the steadfast love of the Most High, that we will not be moved. And then that ends up being a prayer in the same way, that as he prayed in uh, Psalm 20, Basically that, you know, he doesn't say this explicitly, but he does. It's basically help us not to be moved. You know, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. The part of that is, is a prayer. Lord, keep us steadfast. Keep us not to be moved. And I think that's a good prayer for the church today, um, as you said so well. And I think this needs to be our prayer. So any reflections on that? You served many years as district president. You you know, you have overseen and cared for and, and loved the churches under your care here and throughout the world. Why is it important that we have something like this verse to trust in the Lord when everything seems to be falling apart around us and to pray that the Lord will help us not to be moved? What are your reflections as a district president? One of the things that... Um, you know, not too long ago, I was asked about, what do you think about what's happening in the world um, today and specifically in our country? And I responded, how can we expect things to be any different when you have more people outside of the church than inside? And I think for every one of us, you know, we, we really need to be in the Word of God. And that's why your program, Die Strong Word, we need to be in the Word of God. And when we're in the Word, like somebody will say, well, I, I have difficulty praying. And if they were to say to me, what should I do? And I'll say, read the Word of God. <laughs> the more that we're in the Word of God, the easier it will be to pray. As God's Word um, you know, speaks to us, then we can respond back to Him. And I think that is, in this day and age, you know, 
it's so important for us to put on that armor of God and to look to him who, uh, who is, you know, our help and our hope and our salvation. Well, let's continue to move forward. Verses 8 through 12. And there's a lot, there's a lot of gems in this as well. Verses 8 through 12. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. And when I say that about a gem, it it shows us the ultimate authority and power of our Lord, that evil will not win the day. What are your thoughts on on these words, verses 8 through 12? Well, the Holy Spirit working faith in David, David, it caused David then to rejoice in the strength of God's salvation, um, both with an eye and the present help that he received in battle but also with an eye on the eternal victory that lay before him in Christ Jesus. And the psalm here, it's concluding with a description of eschatological proportions, that is, a vision of the last day, when the final and everlasting judgment upon the wicked will be dealt out by God. And when I read in verse 9, you'll make them as a blazing oven. You know, the first thing you might that comes to mind um, when I hear those words, the lake of fire that we read about in Revelation 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, the eternal place that is prepared for the devil and his angels and where the wicked will go on the last day in the final judgment as Matthew 25, 41 tells us. But there's another thing to contemplate here. And that is the wrath of God has been poured out already. The wrath of God has already come into the world. Before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed in the garden saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The cup of God's wrath, which was drank down to the dregs at the cross by Jesus, became the payment for our sin, because to drink it was to be judged. And the wrath that we should have received, Jesus received for you and for me. By his stripes, Isaiah says, that we are healed. And because he was not found wanting, he has given us the crown of everlasting life. And in exchange, as I said earlier, he took the crown of thorns. And he took death so we could have life, life in him. Well, what does this mean? Well, it means that on the one hand, For those who have no faith in Christ Jesus, who hate him and who take no joy in his appearing, the wrath poured out at the cross will be confirmed in them on the last day. And on that day, they will have their lack of faith confirmed, and the judgment we hear about in Psalm 21 will come to its final resolution. But on the other hand, on that day, the steadfast love of the Most High will guarantee that we, with King David, shall not be moved. Our trust 
will be made perfect on that day. On that day, our faith will receive its final confirmation. In these days right now, we can think on the words of St. Paul when he says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Psalm 21 abounds in this rejoicing. If you have failed to rejoice in this, if you've wavered in your trust, if you have focused on earthly treasure over and above the true treasures found in Christ Jesus, take heart. There is forgiveness for you, just as there was forgiveness for King David and his failings. Remember where we falter, God does not. The love of Jesus for you and for me is steadfast. The victory won for us is eternal. The salvation he gives us is for life everlasting. And the crown of his righteousness, which we receive in him, will never fade. We rejoice. The battle is over. The victory is ours in Christ Jesus. And I, I can tell you this. I mentioned Pastor Bernie said it. Um, the day that he died, I had sent a text to someone, and I said, the strife is o'er, the battle done. Now let us, the hymn of, now let us, uh, see, the strife is, o- is over, the battle done. Now may the hymn of victory be sung. Mm. And that, to me, is Psalm 21, the hymn, the song of victory. This does bring up another, well, it brings up pure comfort, as you said so wonderfully, because it speaks about the victory that David had post-battle, looking back and realizing the, 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 the answer to prayers, which we all, it's good for us to reflect back and to see how God has answered these prayers. And it does lead me to a little bit of grief, as you said this, and you, you brought us to that source of hope, but I'm, I'm feeling still a little bit of grief as we hear this, is that the reality of those who will not believe, as you said, that, they, mm-hmm. that there be a lake of fire, that there will be an end um, to them. And we're going to see this as we continue to study Matthew, the separation of the sheep and the goats. As we see that, it brings a certain amount of grief for us. So what are we as Christians, if someone comes to you, pastor, and says, God going to do that to people? Um, they're having a real hard time with that. So what am I to do, if you will? Or how am I to see that faithfully as they're grieving, and including myself? So to our listeners, what would you tell them as there can be some grief on those words as two verses eight through 12. You know, that's where, um, you know, we think about the Lord would have all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And uh, for us, you know, it is to speak the word of truth, the word of life, um, to 
live our faith out in our actions and, and what we do and say. And, and then, uh, you know, we leave it up to the working of the Holy Spirit and who works when and, and where he will. I, I can think of something, and, and these, these were not people that were outside of the faith, but um, early on in my ministry, we had a, a couple. They lived kitty corner from the church, and they were, uh, they were priesters. They came at Christmas and Easter. And I, uh, I remember um, then his, the, the couple, his, they had no children. His wife um, got cancer. We faithfully went over um, to uh, give them her communion and to visit her and so forth, right up to the time the Lord took her soul home to heaven. Well, at the funeral, in my old sinful nature, I remember sitting there and looking at him and thinking, well, I guess we won't see him till Christmas or Easter. Mm. You know, that was very short-sighted on my part because the Lord taught me something, and that is the Word works. And that man never missed church from that day on. And when the Lord called him home, we were in the process of baptizing the third adult that he had invited and witnessed to come to church. And I think there's where we, again, we need to do as a psalm here to trust in the Lord. And especially, you know, it is painful when we have loved ones um, who have forsaken or walked away from the Lord. And, and uh, But we don't give up. And we continue to do as the Lord says, and that is to continue to share this word of life with them. As the psalmist, as David says, O Lord, in your strength. Once again, the emphasis on the syllable, right? Here we go. In your yes, strength, you <laughs> the yep. king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desires, for you meet him with rich blessings. Thank you for sharing that, Pastor. It's a good reminder to our listeners is never lose hope because we will never be put to shame as is a Lord's love that has been poured into your hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the victory has been won. So do not lose hope. And and we have those moments. You know, I appreciate your honesty in that, Pastor, because there's so many times well, they're not going to come back again. And then God yeah. just laughs. This is Psalm 2. He laughs at us. And he says, let me show you that my grace is sufficient um, for when you are weak, you are strong in him. So, Pastor, we have one more verse to go through. Anything else in verses 8 through 12? No, I, I think one of the things as we look at, at this psalm is just to see, you know, um, how you have the uh, immediate uh, and so that is as it is uh, lived out in the life of King David. But then in the future, as you know, the hymn, the Lenten hymn, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. And the verse says about Jesus, David's son, yet David's Lord. And there we see, you know, the reality, the greater reality that's in this, this wonderful psalm um, of how this speaks of Christ. And and uh, what he has done for us, and and the life that awaits us, and and therefore, what do we do? We respond with thanksgiving, with worship and praise. 
And that's what I think Psalm, the book of Psalms, you've got prayers, you have praise. And um, we pray, God answers, we respond. Mm. As you said at the beginning, you know, I think it was Martin Luther who said, you know, the whole Psalms are its own little Bible, if you will. Um, it's not little by any means, but it is its own Bible as it captures all of God, the triune God in all the Psalms. So verse 13, be exalted. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Pastor. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say one last uh, thing Please about do. those other other verses, and that is, you know, the, the people um, are speaking, you know, and the people assure the king and um, of the fact of a string of future victories. Uh, but while they can be applied to the, the victories of the kings of Judah, I think they're especially fitting when applied to Christ. And they'll, of course, they'll be fulfilled in the fullest sense of judgment day when Christ accomplishes the final defeat of all the enemies of God's people. And that leads us into verse 13. It does. And I I would encourage our listeners, as you said earlier, is to make the connection to Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, which you can't help but see verses 8 through 12 connecting with Psalm 110. So let's get back to back on the farm here. Verses the first 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So once again, he he brings us to where um where it all is in your strength. And also we've been looking at that last verse to kind of uh, summarize everything neatly put together like a like a um a good wrapping on a wonderful present. So how would you talk about verse 13 in context of all of 21? Well, after encouraging um the king, the people then they turn once more to the Lord and they have this final word of praise for the victories that he gives and it's very interesting because you know you have this conclusion but it's a return to the beginning. When you look, uh, you know, at verse one, um, and and it says there about, oh Lord, the King rejoices in your strength, and so here in verse thirteen, um, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength, and then in in verse seven, uh, where it says that for the King trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love of the Most High, and that uh, also. Uh, you know, at this conclusion where we will ever praise um, your might. Um, I think that, and this is the the ending here uh, is to me, you're putting it right where it belongs. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. There we go again, your strength. And we will sing and praise your power. It's all in him from beginning to end. And this brings us to, to the end where it says, we will sing and praise your power. And I'm thinking of this, and it'd be interesting to hear, you know, from you, our listeners, if you have any thoughts on this, is when we sing a hymn, or you're singing songs, or the choir is singing, or whatever it might be, how often are we actually singing with the understanding of God's power? <laughs> that yeah. when we're singing, obviously a mighty fortress leads us to that thought process a little bit for, I would say, that day, which is often why we will stand in honor of our Lord, kind of as a sign of strength. 
But any reflections on that, that when we sing, we are singing, and when we praise, when we come to worship, when we praise the Lord in other, all parts of our lives, that we're doing so in his power, and he's the creator of the universe. And so, I don't know, any reflections on that for us and encouragement to our listeners, that you're singing in the power of the Lord. Your thoughts? I, you know, I think about this, this uh, him, you know, and uh, we are weak, but he is strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how often do we forget that, that he is strong? We know we're weak, but he is strong. And, and the fact that, you know, he invites us to cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. And here you have the creator of the universe, the redeemer, um, you know, and, and sometimes we have these weak and feeble, um, I always think about in church um, when sometimes people don't even open the hymnal to sing. And here we are before the Lord of all. And I just think we have something to sing about. And it is very unfortunate that sometimes, uh, you know, our, our weakness shows itself up in our worship. There's different parts of, 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 of the liturgy, um, and there's one that always sticks in my mind that we would sing in, in different places. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become mm-hmm. my salvation. And there's a certain way that that gets sung, and there's brother pastors who have sung that, and I'm like, wow, that recaptures really that wonderfully. You know, the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you draw water from the wells of salvation. This is from the service of prayer and preaching. So my encouragement, no matter the quality of your singing voice, no matter any of that, sing with joy, but not just joy because you're trying to bring it out of your own heart, but you're, you're singing the word of God, which has power. But it's not because that has power, but because it's God's word, your his strength, his salvation. And may we be able to sing that even more powerfully in the power of his might. So, Pastor, we are about a minute left in our time. How, how would you summarize, oh, actually, ask this, when would you encourage our listeners to pray, to sing, and to meditate on this psalm? Well, I would say this, is that we first of all have to recognize Psalm 20, that we are in a battle. But then we have to recognize Psalm 21. The battle has been won. You know, like I, I said, I know this isn't the way that it, it, the hymn verse, the hymn says it, but the strife is or the battle done or won. Now the hymn of victory should be sung. And I think about, you know, here we're in uh, the final four of basketball, um, women and men's NCAA, and if they win, the school sings the fight song. An army uh, defeats, uh, you know, their enemy, just like we have in, in uh, the Psalms here. And they sing. And I think in our lives, too, whether it be a small victory or a major victory or the ultimate victory, we have something to sing and to thank God for, Jesus Christ. 
The Reverend Dr. Don Fondau, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Giving us God's strong word from Psalm 21, Pastor Fondau, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.